You're listening to Under One Roof, a Covenant House Vancouver production. Under One Roof is your opportunity to hear conversations with subject matter experts on a variety of social justice and public policy issues. Covenant House Vancouver is dedicated to serving all youth with absolute respect and unconditional love, helping youth experiencing homelessness and protecting and safeguarding all youth in need. Please note that the views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the board, management, or staff here at Covenant House Vancouver. And now, Under One Roof. Welcome to Under One Roof, a Covenant House Vancouver production. My name is Justin Goodrich, sitting in for Jennifer Hall. This month, in honor of Pride Month, Covenant House Vancouver is thrilled to be speaking with Han Hugeson, a youth programming specialist with Community. A Vancouver-based nonprofit organization, Community provides resources to BC's queer, trans, and two-spirited young people. Together, we'll be unpacking a variety of topics pertaining to queer youth, and I could not be more excited. Welcome to the program, Han. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. And for listeners that may not be familiar with community, I was hoping we could begin our time together with having you simply share a little bit about the programs and services community offers. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so community is BC's queer, trans and two-spirit resource center. Uh, we've been around for over 40 years now, which is quite some time. Uh, and our goals are to provide support, connection, and leadership to queer and trans people and two-spirit people in BC. So we empower queer people to be their best selves via counselling, senior services, volunteering, advocacy, peer groups, and support. Um, I'm going to be focusing on the youth services today because I'm the youth specialist at Q. Uh, that that uh, we provide services for youth aged 14 to 25. Uh, and the things that I do in those services are I do some drop-ins. So they are both virtual and in-person drop-ins. Uh, they run virtually once a week and in-person once a week as well. Uh, we also do some one-on-one services and they are provided by me to queer and trans youth. Uh, I will speak to caregivers uh, of queer and trans youth in a once-off capacity and also share some resources and referrals for both queer youth and their caregivers. Uh, we also do events throughout the year. So our largest event actually is Queer Prom, uh, which is a very cool event in Pride season uh, where we provide a space for youth that, that might not be able to be themselves in their school prom and an event in which they can come to and express who they are. And we also do things such as barbecues um, and things like that in our drop-ins. Um, alongside that, one of our main programs is our BBB program, and that stands for bras, binders, and breast forms. And we provide free gender affirming chest garments to any youth in BC, uh, under the age of 25. And we can send that to, to any location that they are in. We can send that to either their house or their school or a supportive adult in order to make sure that trans youth are getting the access that they need. Wow, well, that's quite quite an array of uh, of services that uh, that are offered. Now, with respect to your particular role as a youth program specialist, you you mentioned some of the things that you do. Uh, I'm wondering, what does a typical day look like for you then, with with all of these moving pieces? 
That's a really great question. Um, I think I am uniquely in a role that, that maybe doesn't have a typical day just because of how incredibly broad it is. I'm, I'm the only youth specialist at the organization. Um, but on a, on, in kind of like a general way, uh, the way that I work is to approach the youth that are coming through the organization with uh, a really holistic lens and to empower them in their identity. So I think we're working with a lot of young people that are accessing us for a sense of community and who might not be around people that share similar lived experiences with them. And the, alongside that, there's, there's a very real lack of, of mentorship, um, but particularly a lack of older trans mentors. So I um, identify as trans. I use they and he pronouns. Uh, so I work from my lived experience as well in order to have conversations with youth one-on-one -on -one around navigating gender identity and navigating the systems in which they find themselves within in our society. Um, so I think a main focus of the, of the work that I do is to provide community um, external to the family of origin that they've come from. Uh, I think queer youth face a pretty unique problem um, or barrier um, in which usually their identities are, are different from others in their family. And that's usually not shared by other minorities. So it's really important in order to, to create chosen family and people that do share those experiences uh, in order to, to affirm them. And I think just at a really base level, um, let them know that, that they're going to be okay and that um, they will grow up into, you know, adults that are happy and productive um, and queer and trans and that are uh, living their lives to their best capacity. Wow, that's beautiful. That is that is so wonderful. Now, uh, before we move on to the rest of the interview, I was I was hoping we could just pause briefly here, and you could provide some clarity, both for myself and our listeners, around the various acronyms used for the queer community. And I'll contextualize it a little bit like this: uh, as a public affairs practitioner, uh, I tend to use LGBTQ two. And the reason I use that particular acronym is because we do a lot of government relations work and the federal government has a secretariat and it is titled LGBTQ2 Secretariat. And so that's sort of, um, you know, the, the reasoning behind why I use that particular acronym. It's synergistic with the work I do with government. But there are a whole host of acronyms. Um, and I, I'm wondering if you could just maybe demystify that for us a, a little bit. Absolutely. Um, I love an acronym question. <laughs> um, so people tend to use uh, a lot of different acronyms for the queer community. Um, we've, we've kind of added letters as time has gone on in order to represent uh, the different intersections in the community. Uh, the one that community currently uses is 2SLGBTIA+. Um, so I can go through the letters that are included in that acronym. Um, so we start with 2S, um, meaning two-spirit, which is a term that's specifically uh, specific to Indigenous communities. So we're talking about Indigiqueer and two-spirit folks. Um, and it's moved to the front to acknowledge um, firstly, the ongoing discrimination that that Indigenous people face um, in 
on Turtle Island or Canada um, and to stand in allyship with that. And also to acknowledge that that Two-Spirit and Indigenous people were here you know, since time immemorial, so long, long before colonization and before um, Europeans brought the the gender binary uh, to Canada, um, Indigenous people were were living lives that were queer and that were trans, and that that was that was often a part of the the societies in which they were a part of. Um, and a lot of the transphobia and discrimination was brought along by. Uh, colonization and the invasion quite literally of that um the the l stands for lesbian so we're talking about women and when i'm saying women i mean both both cisgender so that's uh women whose gender assigned at birth uh was woman uh so the doctor looked at them and said it's a girl um and then trans women so uh women whose whose gender identity might have been differently assigned at birth. Um, and that is, so when I'm saying lesbian, I'm talking about people that have a romantic and or sexual attraction to people of the same gender identity of themselves. Um, uh, gay is, is similar, but flipped. So it's men who have a romantic and or sexual attraction to other men. Uh, bisexuality is the B and that stands for, uh, being attracted to both people that identify as the same gender as yourself and to other genders. Um, T is for transgender, which has turned into a bit of an umbrella term, but that is not identifying with the gender that you were assigned at birth. Um, that can include identifying as non-binary or identifying just something as other than what the doctor <laughs> ascribed to you when you were born. Um, intersex is bodies that, that fall outside of the gender binary, um, quite like in a, in a physical kind of way. Um, asexual is the A as well as aromantic. And when I'm talking about asexual, uh, we're talking about little or no sexual attraction to others. Um, and aromantic is little or no romantic attraction to other people. Um, that's a lot of terms I just defined there. Um, but the plus is used to represent those that might not feel represented by that particular acronym. Um, I'm generally use queer. Um, that's a reclaimed umbrella term by the, the queer community. Uh, it did used to be a slur. Um, it has since been reclaimed, although important to, to know that, that perhaps not all people are comfortable with that, particularly if they were around in a time when it was used as a slur. Uh, it is pretty generally understood to be an umbrella term at this point, I would say. So is there a particular methodology then, or is it really a matter of uh, personal or organizational preference? I... Ooh, that that's a difficult that's a tricky question i think um i i really do think that people are, are choosing acronyms that are representative of maybe um the people within the organization or what they view as a good framework i think it's constantly being updated and it's constantly being changed in order to be the most inclusive it can be and it's just around decisions that people are making um, within their organizations or within the way they speak about the community um, in order to 
to make it as inclusive as possible. I don't think there's necessarily, I don't think there's like a website that you can go onto that gives us updated versions, but there is a lot of things out there. You could definitely Google and you would come up with probably 10 different acronyms um, that represent the queer community. Well, certainly at least, at least 10, uh, probably, probably more. Well, now that we, okay. So now that we, we've, we've addressed that and we've got a little bit of context and, and I, I appreciate the way you so thoughtfully, uh, uh, talk me through that. Uh, let's, let's start talking about young people. Um, what would you say are some of the biggest barriers facing queer youth? Yeah, that that's, I think a really, a really important and good question. Um, and something that, that does come up quite a lot, and I think, like I said before, queer youth are in a family of origin uh, with with different lived experience to them typically, um, which can take away a huge protective factor when moving through the world or experiencing discrimination because their family at home may not be experiencing that same discrimination, which is pretty unique. Um, and so that can lead to things uh, like a greater risk of homelessness if if they are to come out in that family and the family is unsupportive. Uh, it can lead to negative mental health outcomes, uh, the use of substances in a way that's impacting mental health or might be perceived as harmful, um, and then ultimately self-harm and suicide. Um, and I think also there's a number of structural barriers in place within our society, um, such as, for instance, healthcare systems uh, are often within frameworks that are not built for queer and trans people um, and that ultimately end up in, in gatekeeping necessary medical care. And what I mean by gatekeeping is uh, when a young person is trying to access medical care, they are kind of subject to a lot of questions around their gender identity um, and hoops that they need to jump through in order to access gender affirming care. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking specifically about medical transitions at this point as well. Um, I think that's something that a lot of, a lot of, if not all, most trans people experience within medical systems. Um, and I think typically as well, like we we're talking about social stigma and we're talking about minority stress. So that's the discrepancy between the dominant values in our society. So that's a very like cisgender, um, heterosexual white society. And then also if you are an identity that is a minority, the stress between that difference and what you're expected to be or how you're expected to behave, um, is results in often a constant need for self-advocacy, which is extremely exhausting and again contributes to you know negative mental health impacts and all of the things that I was talking about before. Well, based on your answer, this next question may may be uh, somewhat redundant, but I'll I'll, I'll ask it uh, nonetheless. Um, are there then bigger barriers for certain subsections of the queer community? Absolutely. I think very important question. I think uh, when I'm talking about minority stress, uh, 
minority stress impacts people that sit at intersections more. So if you're sitting at an like uh, a racial or cultural intersection, um, if you're part of the disabled community, then you're going to be experiencing these stresses and risk factors disproportionately um, as for instance, if you if you're a cis white gay man, you're you're going to be experiencing discrimination less than a black trans femme woman, um, and I think uh, it also impacts access to services that might be able to provide support and protective factors. Factors I think we live in a society in which queerness can be kind of packaged into like these like white allosexual when i say allosexual i mean um experiencing sexual attraction and romantic attraction to people um and a very binary world and i think sometimes we package queerness as as identities that are easier for for people to i guess for like lack of a better word to consume or to understand um and i think it's important to think of queerness as as not a response to the dominant culture but an embodiment of people's own lives and identities in an important way. Um, but the further you move away from the dominant culture um, or have qualities that are not deemed worthy, the more you are stigmatized. Um, and I think it's really important, particularly in Pride Month, to realize that that the whole queer movement was built on, on trans femmes of color. Um, and I think that's a really important, huge cornerstone of the queer community that is that is not really acknowledged in in kind of mainstream pride. Um, and we see, you know, indigiqueer and two spirit, and particularly trans people of color that face discrimination within their own community um, from people that that maybe you know already have the rights or are already being able to live in in ways and experiencing minimal discrimination. And I think it's really important as a community that that we stand in allyship with those people. Well, the notion of allyship is is uh, very synergistic with with what we do here um, at Covenant House in terms of, you know, we will we will serve any young person that comes through our doors with unconditional love and absolute respect. And if there's one thing this world needs way more of these days, the world needs more love. Um, and, and those who, uh, are feeling, um, as though they're not part of community and aren't loved unconditionally. Um, it's, it's good to know that organization like, like yours, like community is, you know, is, is out there reminding those people that they're loved, uh, and that they do belong and, and breaking down some of those barriers. So, uh, great, great admiration for the work, uh, the work that you're doing there. I'd like to I'd like to pivot the conversation a little bit and um, talk about the the importance of symbolism and and I'll contextualize it by saying this when we built uh, our new uh, our new um, location uh, at the corner of Seymour and Drake about five years ago and incidentally for listeners who are who are curious and sometimes email us uh, yes our new building is uh, is about to launch as well right across the street um, but when we built the one at thirteen o two Seymour we were very intentional about prominently featuring a rainbow flag at our, at our entrance. And I, I'm wondering if you could talk uh, perhaps a little bit about the importance of uh, the flag and, and why uh, service providers and, and businesses and, and other organizations, um, you know, should perhaps consider um, also 
displaying, uh, you know, displaying the flag. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think visual cues um, in organizations are important um, and they're important knowledge for queer and trans people uh, when deciding whether to enter and access a space or not. Um, it's often incredibly helpful to know that the organization uh, is, is taking kind of like a visual active stance around inclusion. Um, and I would also say alongside that, then, you know, I, I would be asking questions around frameworks that, that are in place in the organization to ensure that it's a, a continuity of care. You know, there might be a rainbow flag at, at the front of the building, um, but what frameworks are in place within the building in order to make sure that, that people are safe and are included. And uh, when I'm saying included, I'm, I'm talking about like building specific policies around queer and trans inclusion as well, rather than than kind of tacking that on to existing policies um, or adapting existing policies. Um, and I think it's really important to, to note as well that, that marginalized people have less choices for support. If you're looking to be housed and that's your pressing concern, then that's what you're you're going to be thinking about, you know? And I think if you're looking to be housed, you, you really don't have a lot of options sometimes, particularly if you're a young person. So I would really urge people to, you know, ha have a think about may maybe asking people that are accessing those services, you know, are you feeling safe and included here or do you just have nowhere to go? Um, and I think that's really important for an organization to do in order to continue to build those frameworks. I think, um, I mean, specifically with Covenant House Vancouver, I actually, I used to work there <laughs> for several years um, and I found it generally fairly inclusive. And also I, I do think that the space is perceived and read as quite religious and also quite binary. Um, so a rainbow flag uh, can be used to mitigate that in terms of public image and in terms of getting queer and trans young people to access, access that space. Um, but thinking about options for expansion and inclusion beyond that and to make sure that those young people are safe, you know, every minute that they're staying um, within th those walls and, and if not, and when instances do happen, because they do, um, what policies or what's the response um, from the workers on the front line? What's the response from management and how can we build that into a framework that's truly holistic and truly celebrating people's entire identities? Well, you know, I, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate your comments and certainly, um, the, the power of symbols, um, the, the, um, the importance of perception, and how perception and reality uh, may indeed be very different. Uh, and then, um, you know, being a, a, a public policy guy, I, I couldn't agree with you more about the importance of uh, of, of creating uh, creating policies in in ensuring that there's a methodology in place and, and that it's consistent. Uh, and, and those are just those are fantastic reminders to you know to all of our listeners about uh, ways in which um, you know they can they can elevate and in intentionally engage some of these issues. We're we're here in Pride Month, um, and it looks like we're going to have our first uh, in in Pride or sorry in person rather uh, Pride event later in the summer uh, after um, you know. 
two years, more than two years now of of the COVID nineteen pandemic, and I can't help but uh, but wonder about the impacts uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic has had on on queer youth. Um, would you be willing to maybe elaborate or, or or dive into that with me? Absolutely, yeah. I think um, it's a really important conversation, and I think. It again comes back to um, a lot of the time the family of origin um, and the increased risk that COVID has had um, on youth that are living at home with a family of origin that that either are, are unsupportive um, or, I mean, I guess unsupportive or the youth isn't out to them yet or the youth is discovering their own identity um, and there's there's been real no access to community um, within this time. And I think because of that disproportional impact upon queer youth, um, that's it's been a particularly different, difficult time for them um, because there's been a lot of time to sit and to reflect and to come to realizations about their own identity, but there's not been a lot of time to celebrate that. And there's not been a lot of opportunities to to meet people in person to meet their own community in person and i think i i touched on on the importance of queer community um previously when i talked about my job but i think queer community has a a very long history of creating space and creating community that that people are not getting from maybe the people around them or their family of origin and even if the family of origin is supportive or there are supports around them, it's really important to be able to, to speak and be around people that have the same lived experience. It's, it's really important to know that, that you're going to be okay in the future. And I think the virtual programming that has been offered in the time uh, is just not feasible because it's too risky for a lot of the youth in these situations. Um, so I am, very excited for there to be an in-person pride in Vancouver. I'm very excited for youth that have come out in the last couple of years to be able to be quite literally physically surrounded by like the love um, from the community. I think it's the greatest protective factor we have and the best thing about being queer. And I think it's really important to celebrate that. Um, and I'm also, I think, grateful for the provincial reach that we have had with our programming during Pride. I think it's enabled us to reach youth in in un, underserved communities that might be in rural or remote areas in BC. Um, so we're we're planning to continue continue that virtually, but I'm just thrilled that the people can access it in person as well now. Well, you know, it's always nice to hear stories um, coming out of the pandemic, recognizing that we've we've all battled and we've all struggled, but that in the midst of the hardship and sometimes the, the loneliness and the heartbreak, uh, there have been, you know, perhaps a bit of a silver lining when there have been a few, uh, you know, a few, a few things we can look to and say, um, because of the pandemic, we were able to adapt. And it sounds like community adapted and its reach has, has expanded. And, and I think that's, uh, I think that's, uh, I think it's just a beautiful story that out of, out of the midst of struggle, uh, some good was able to come of it. And I think, uh, I think that's wonderful. Um, just a couple more, a couple more questions for you. Um, and, and this, this, this first one is really about, it, it dovetails nicely 
uh, in terms of um, successes. And I'm curious, uh, what are some of the greatest successes you've experienced with your work? Things that have really brought you a sense of uh, joy and satisfaction where your, where your work has, has really, um, you know, made a difference and where you have been able to, uh, you know, you're able to look back and smile. I mean, I think I experience um, a lot of joy in my work because I am a, a queer and trans adult working with queer and trans youth. And I mean, they're quite literally the future and they're also just incredible young people. I think you you don't sit with yourself and do that much reflection without just, I mean, I'm very biased. I just think they're great. Um, and I think that there's no way to sit and reflect that much without becoming a better person. Um, but I, in my work, I see many instances I've worked with youth for, for really long periods of time. Um, I'm talking like three years and I've seen youth from, you know, getting their very first binder and questioning their gender identity through their medical and social transitions and through coming out and then watch those same youth give back and advocate for their own community. Um, I, I see, I see, I mean, recently we had a youth at our um, Idaho, which is the International Day uh, Against Homophobia, Transphobia and Biphobia uh, breakfast, speak really beautifully on the impact and their journey. And I have another youth that is educating the church community about trans identities. And I think, I, I think it's incredible to watch people that are, you know, 18 or 20 years old um, give back in such beautiful ways. Um, and it makes me really, really hopeful for the future and not just for queer youth, but I think a world where these queer youth have been celebrated at a younger age is, is going to be a world that's just better overall for everyone. You know, that's, that's extraordinarily inspiring to hear. And let's be honest, um, being a young person and getting up and advocating and speaking, uh, is an extraordinarily challenging thing. Um, you know, there's, there's sort of that notion that one of the things people are most afraid of, regardless of where they are in their journey is public speaking, uh, right. And, and to do it, do it through the lens of advocacy, um, and being a champion is just, uh, it's just extraordinary. It's, it, it, it truly is. Um, as we bring our time to, uh, to a close, I wouldn't be doing my job as, 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 uh, the guest host for this episode, if I didn't ask this question, and here it goes. What are things that our listeners can do to help support queer youth? I mean, this is a great last question. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, there, there are a lot of things that, that people can do. And I think the main one is uh, when we're talking about youth, we're talking about a group of people that people don't listen to a lot, you know? And I think, with queer and trans youth that that's particularly important if someone is telling you something uh that's a time to be listening to them and that's a time to leave your own assumptions at the door and and really listen to the ways in which they are explaining who they are to you and i think being an active ally moves moves much beyond listening 
I, I'm going to give some tangibles because I think tangibles are important, but I think some of the things that come to mind are, you know, sharing your own pronouns, uh, not assuming that everyone is cisgender or heterosexual, um, thinking about ways to make spaces gender neutral, thinking about gender neutral bathrooms in your organization, um, and speaking up and out for queer youth. I think when we're talking about silence, um, it, it is a violent act to say, to stay silent when, when someone's being homophobic or transphobic. Um, it's, I think sometimes people have a misconception that, you know, like, oh, I'm not homophobic. Um, and that people should just somehow know that. And I think you need to be active in your allyship and you need to be active in the ways that you are supporting people and the ways that you are celebrating people in your life. I think, um, you know, the, there's also, it's important to keep deconstructing it for yourself. Um, it's, it's not on the people that are sharing who they are to, to deconstruct their identity for you. And I think specifically when we're talking about queer youth, you know, we're, we're talking about young people. We, I want queer youth to be able to have a space for themselves to like live and to celebrate who they are and to be proud and feel joy and, you know, date and have heartbreak and all of the things that everyone else is having. And I think like, if, if you have queer youth in your life, if you're just around youth in your life, it's important to, to create that space for those people because, because youth are the future, but queer youth specifically, like we want them in our future and it's up to everyone to make sure that they stay there. Well, Han, I have thoroughly enjoyed um, this conversation and I'm, I'm so very appreciative uh, to you uh, for, for making this time and, and just sharing so passionately about, about this topic. So thank you so very much, Anne. Thank you so much for having me. That brings us to the end of this episode of Under One Roof. I'd like to thank my guest, Han Hugeson, for joining me. As always, if you have feedback on today's episode or suggestions for future topics, please email us at publicaffairs at covenanthousebc.org. Until next time, I'm Justin Goodrich. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Under One Roof, a Covenant House Vancouver production. If you have questions or comments about today's episode, please email us at publicaffairs at covenanthousebc.org. For more information on Covenant House Vancouver or to make a donation, please visit our website at www.covenanthousebc.org. Until next time, thanks for listening.